Welcome to Wins Women of Wisdom, everyone. Today we have t Amy Julie Baker on with us, and she has written two amazing books, which she and I are going to be talking about today. And one of them is called The Perfect Gift and Less Small Talk Lessons That I've Learned From My Children. And The Small and Perfect Gift was actually her first book that she wrote The Lessons From My Children was actually her second book. In the bio it says that book was her first book, so that's why I had to ask, ask her before we went on air how the order was, and apparently they're all traditionally published. So I'm excited to talk to her today because I teach kids, for those of you who do not know, and for those of you who are new to Wins Women of Wisdom, I actually am an author myself, author of I Come and Win, which is my story with cerebral palsy, and then I am the author of three teen novels and two um, co-authored books, both international bestsellers on Amazon, so there's a little bit about myself. But I'm excited to talk to Amy today about her books and lessons we can all learn from her books. So I'm going to let Amy take it away. Oh, well, thanks. Um, yeah, I've, I've had a chance to write two books. The first one, A Good and Perfect Gift, is uh, a really a spiritual memoir about our daughter, Penny, who is nine years old now. But uh, the book was written after uh, she was born and was diagnosed with Down syndrome. And so it's a, a memoir and a spiritual journey about what it took for me to be able to really receive her as a gift. And then the second book, Small Talk, is a book about um, what I've learned from having three children, not just Penny, but her brother and sister, William and Marilee, um, and just being able to really um, see the way I have grown up as a human being by having these kids in my life. Now, okay, you're... Um three kids. One of them is has Downs or Down syndrome. Downs is what they call it in the medical world. I did not know that. And I recently lost a good friend to mm. a heart attack who had Down syndrome. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Really, he died close to my birthday and of course he loved me because I was high-functioning compared to the rest of the disabled population that mm. he got to hang out with. So that was a real shocker to me, and my next book is dedicated to teaching um, about Down syndrome because I don't think people understand more about Down syndrome. But that being said, are the other two able-bodied, able-bodied completely? Yes, they are. They are typically developing yeah. children. 
William is seven years old. He's in second grade. And Marilee is four. So she's Yee. in preschool. That's uh, huge. And how old is Penny? Penny's nine. and Actually, she's almost ten. She'll turn ten in December. It's a huge age gap idea. And so how did you start this journey and come to the realization that you were a writer, you were a writer, hmm. and how did you start this journey and come to the realization that you were a writer and accept the fact that one of your children was a perfect gift, hmm. so to speak, sure. and not the typical able-bodied child by any means. Yeah, so they're kind of two different stories. As far as the writing goes, I had um, I'd been doing a fair amount of writing uh, before Penny was born, not for publication. And then I was at a writer's conference because I was starting to think I might want to write something um, that was published. And I met an agent who said, you know, I'd be interested in representing you if you want to write a book about your daughter. I had a blog, I guess, at that point where I was writing some reflections about being Penny's mom. And I'd written a lot just in journal entries that were not public. And so at that point, Penny was about two years old. And I had come to a place of really being able to receive her as a gift and recognizing that the change that needed to happen was in me, not in her as far as her well-being and gift to the world. And so I was ready to write about it. And um, as far as how that transformation happened, I think there were a couple different things. But in the first year of her life, I had a deep and fierce and satisfying love for her. Um, but I also had a lot of fears. And the fears, some of them were for her. But a lot of the fear was for me. And so I think that first year was a process of recognizing and really um, grieving. What I finally realized was that I was grieving the loss of a baby that never existed. And so it was a silly, I didn't need to grieve that, right? I mean, you need to grieve when someone actually dies, like what you just described with your friend. Like, you need to grieve. But in my case, I thought I was going to have a typical baby. I didn't. But that baby never existed, so there really was no need to grieve, um, even though I had to go through that process. But I came out on the other side, and I was able to actually see the baby who I had been given and to receive her as a gift, as every baby is, um, and to recognize that she was a gift like no other. And I will say um, one story. When we were in the hospital, and she had just been born and just been diagnosed with Down syndrome, there was a nurse who came in. Uh, the first night after she was born. And she said to me, you know, I had a special child too. And I said, how old is your child now? And the nurse said, he died a long time ago, which was not what I had wanted to hear at all. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she shook her head at me as if I didn't understand what she was trying to say. And she said, he was a gift. And she walked out of the room. And I think in many ways the next year of my life was trying to figure out what this nurse could have meant by those words. He was a gift. Because from all I could tell, he had died young. 
he was a special child, which I didn't know what that meant as far as a diagnosis, but I knew it must have meant some level of, you know, hardship or difference for him. Um, and for the nurse to be able to say simply about her child who is no longer with us, he was a gift. I wanted to get to that place. Um, and yet that's not really a process, you know, you have control over. You just have to get there. No, that's not really a process you have control over. I've finally, myself, accepted that um, I have experienced loss in my own life. I experienced um, losing my ability to walk. And then on top mm. of it, um, at the age of 23, I lost my mom. And I've finally come to the conclusion that every day spent with people you love it's a gift. Yeah. It's a gift. And it's, um, so that, that, and writing actually healed me. I do mm -hmm. it on the side along with teaching preschoolers. And so I hope to be, uh, I hope to quit my job eventually and um, write full time. But mm. that's a, that's another whole story in itself. But that's, writing is a form of therapy for those of you who think I'm nuts when I say that. Yeah. Do you and Amy goes, yeah, <laughs> you're not nuts. Um, do you think that um, that was a form of therapy for you to accept, Penny? Yes, I, um, I write about this in the book, actually, um, that in the first couple of months after Penny was born, my mom spent a lot of time at our house. And she would say to me, I want you to either go take a nap or write in your journal. Because um, she knew that writing in my journal was a restorative practice for me. I think for some people, they need to go take a run. They need to go get a cup of coffee with a friend. I mean, we all need different things. But for me, writing is a very much a way... Um, one of the things I've learned about myself is that I think before I feel. And a lot of people are the opposite. They feel something and then they think about it. I can't access my emotions unless I have thought about something. So I can't get to the sadness or the anger or even the joy unless I've had some time to think about it. And so writing helps me to do that. And so it helps me to kind of access that emotional place and get rid of it. With that said, I do think that writing that we do for ourselves that is kind of therapeutic is not the writing that we necessarily ought to share with the world. My journals are not that interesting or important to other people, but they can serve as like a good base document for writing a book that hopefully is not just about a mother um, with a child with Down syndrome, but is hopefully about all of us in our humanity. What does it mean for us to receive, as you were saying, to receive one another as gifts? Not necessarily related to disability, but just in a general sense. What does it mean for us to interact with each other, not as people who are going to... Um, it's not a commercial transaction where I give you something and I get something in return, but it's more a sense of rest... like. What does a relationship look like when, if I believe that we ha all have something to give each other? And uh, that being said, how 
do people react to you when you said, okay, I am writing a book about my gift, which is my daughter, yeah. and my gift isn't perfect. She's not the able-bodied um, child that you all expected, but she's my gift. And what was people's reaction when they, when you said, okay, I'm going to write a book about I think, this journey? Yeah, I mean, I think at that point I had written enough as far as blog posts or like smaller, you know, essays that it wasn't surprising to people that I might want to write a book about it as well. And I think it can be kind of a trite thing to say that people are gifts. And so you have to be careful about that because, okay, that sounds, yeah. you know, yeah. sunshine and roses, Pollyanna, whatever. Like it, you can throw that line away yeah. pretty easily. Um, yeah. But what I really wanted to do was to actually go to those. I mean, the beginning of the book was really hard for me to write because by the time I was writing the book, I didn't feel any sort of sadness about Penny at all. But when she was first born, I was totally stuck in sadness. And so I had to go back to that place and feel it and relive it and try to convey it without saying, hey, don't worry, it's going to get better. Um, so I think there was that sense of just trying to convey some of the raw emotion um, and trying to be really honest about the doubt that we can have that, that you know, that really every person is a gift. Like we, that's a, you can be really cynical, I guess, about that statement. And so I tried to not only be affirming of the idea that everyone is a gift, but also to recognize the reasons we might not think that's true. Um, the expectations that we have set up in our culture about perfection and about the need to be, I mean, our culture believes that in order to have a happy life, you need to be able-bodied and have a high IQ. And that's just not true, but no. acknowledging those expectations and then talking about coming to learn that that's not true is really what the book's about. And I'm going to steal that line from you later today because I have an interview on my own books and people thought I was nuts when I said, okay, I'm giving myself a year to write. Mm -hmm. I win. Now, in a typical traditional publishing process, how long does it take you to sit down and write a book? Does it take a good year or two years? Or? That's a great question. Um, so both of the books that I've written, a lot of the raw material I had already written. So for A Good and Perfect Gift, I had I mean, hundreds of pages of journal entries so that once I started writing, a lot of that was already there. And then with small talk, I had been blogging. And so I was able, again, to use these, probably each chapter in small talk, a third of the chapter was already written before I started the book. And for those of my listeners who are all listen, listening to this, or I'll even stick this one up on YouTube for those of you who like the visual content, and because we're talking about Down syndrome and we're talking about books too. And so for those of you who are listening or watching this on YouTube, 
that's going to be a great tip for you guys. Always start with a journal and always start with those raw emotions first before you dive right into a book. Of course, if I knew that, now after publishing I Win, I would take my own advice. But do you think that is a good tip for those starting out or how would you recommend that yeah I think if you if you think you want to write nonfiction and this is probably true if you want to write fiction as well because so much of fiction does come out of our personal experience I do think just taking notes close to the moment is really helpful but then letting some time pass and coming back to those stories so that you can see them a little more with a little fresher eyes and, and not quite such a immediate way can also be really helpful. So um, everything I have written, there's been like a core to it that was just almost scraps of information and stories. And um, when I'm writing about my kids, I will go back and I'll literally look through photo albums of the time. What did they look like at that time? You know, was their hair long or short? Were they chubby or, you know, starting to grow up and slim out or were they, you know, whatever. And similarly, I'll look back in my journals, what were the cute little things that they were saying, just to add some authenticity and also to remember what it felt like to be with them um, at that stage in their life. So I do think journaling um, makes you a better writer, but I think it also captures some of those um, moments with a lot more immediacy than our memory does. Because when you're looking back on something with a couple of years or even a couple of days sometimes distance, you just don't remember it as vividly. Um, so, that being said, enough about the, um, books, and we haven't even got to the other one yet. We've been so focused on my perfect gift, we haven't even got to small talks yet, my god. Um, and so, what was the biggest, what is the biggest takeaway from both your books that people can gain? Um, you know, both the books really have to do with what it means to be human beings and to be fully human. And so it means accepting our vulnerability and our limitations and seeing those things as gifts to be received, not as burdens to overcome. So that came out in disability circles. You see vulnerability and limitations, right? Oh, but yes, you do. <laughs> But oh, also yes, as a parent, yes. I mean, when you are any small child, yeah. whether they're typically abled or not, they are um, limited and vulnerable. Yeah. And as a parent, you feel your own limitations and vulnerabilities so acutely. So that's what a lot of this book is, these books are both about, is like vulnerability and limitations and how to receive those things as good and as part of who we are as humans, and part of what it means to love each other, and to need each other, and to care for each other, instead of seeing those as um, things we have to fight against. And so, like, I give a talk sometimes where I talk about um, how, for a long time, I thought I needed to be Superman. And then I realized that Superman is all alone. I mean, there's just, there's, you can do everything for yourself, and that's not what it means to be a human being. No. No. Exactly. That's not what it means to be a human being. You can't be Superman. You can't be Superwoman either. You can't be Supermom either. Yeah. And so, um, how is, 
How do the other kids accept all your kids, including Penny in this one? You know, I um, we live in a little town in Connecticut. So Penny is in a, her grade has 24 kids. She's in public school. They've broken those 24 kids up into two classes of 12 students. So she's in a pretty wonderful situation. She has friends. She is well-received. We're having a sleepover with a friend next week. Um, it doesn't mean it's always easy, but I don't think it's very different from any kid growing up who sometimes has issues with yeah. friends and things like that, you know. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, and our other kids are pretty typical in their um, social lives, too. Um, and our kids are pretty typical with each other. I mean, they fight with each other every day. They enjoy each other every day. You know, they play. They cry. You, you know, they get mad. So Penny is mainstream, I'm yes. assuming. Yes. She gets pulled okay. out of her, she's in fourth grade, um, and she gets pulled out with two other kids for math class because they are not um, able to okay. learn at the so. same pace as the other kids in their class, but she's, um, she's reading at her grade level, she's doing PowerPoint presentations oh. with friends about ecosystems and she learning. Has, um, she probably has more technology skills than the rest of her kids. It's pretty amazing. She can do a lot. It's true. And then the rest, uh, and it's so, um, I'm so happy to hear that when, um, when I, when I don't, um, when a person says, oh, my kid is, in a special ed classroom, that drives me nuts. That drives me nuts. Yeah. Because of, um, that drives me nuts because of, um, because of, I don't think it's the best for the kid to be in a specialized classroom. I mean, I would love to see kids interacting with their peers, not necessarily um, interacting with um, with their um, peers on a special ed level because it just drives me nuts. And when I say I when I say I was personally mainstreamed. People look at me like I had, I have two heads, and this is at the time when the Americans with Disability Disabilities Act was still in draft form in Colorado. Mm. So wow. I'm like, yeah, look at me like I have two heads, but look at me now and look right. at these kids growing up. And so that being said, what is your favorite thing to do other than write books. Yeah. Um, I love taking walks in the woods. We live in this in the kind of hills of Connecticut, not quite mountains, but um, but we live near a river, and the trees are beautiful, and the um, the scenery is just gorgeous. So that's one thing I love to do, and I do also love to read, um, and so for pleasure. So I read a lot of novels, and um, I really enjoy that as well. Um, yeah, those are 
some of the things I love to do. And so what would be your favorite book that you would recommend to all my listeners out mm. there who need a dose of inspiration? And now you don't have to be biased. Goodness, that's a hard question. I never do a good job with favorite books. Um, I am, I can say a few books I've liked recently. That might be easier for me. Um, I've actually, we've been reading a lot of books together as a family, and I really uh, loved the book Because of Win Dixie, which is a kid's book, but it was, um, if for anyone who has like third and fourth grade children, it's a great read aloud um, book about a little girl who has experienced some sorrow in her life and uh, needs needs some help to work that through. And that was helpful for my kids and to talk about their own feelings of sadness. It was great. Uh, so because of Winn-Dixie, I loved. And I'm trying to think if I've read any novels recently. I'm reading one right now that I don't like very much. Oh. I'm also reading a, I'm reading a nonfiction book called An Altar in the World by Barbara Brown Taylor, um, who's an Episcopal priest. And it's talking about experiencing God in the world, um, in oh, nature, in our yeah. bodies, in out there, and and it's really beautiful um, and very well written. Write that one down. Yeah, that um, that sounds interesting to me. And what has been since starting this journey? What has been your ultimate favorite? goal with your own books, favorite thing to speak on or favorite thing to do with your own books? Well, with A Good and Perfect Gift, I ended up talking a lot about a culture of perfection and the freedom that can come from moving away from understanding perfection as needing to conform to a cultural ideal and instead starting to think about perfection as wholeness. What does it mean for us to be whole and complete as human beings? I don't think it means we need to be able to do everything for ourselves. I do think it means we need to learn how to love one another um, and and actually depend upon one another. So I talked a lot about that with the first book. Um, With Small Talk, I've actually talked a lot about... um, It's a faith-based book, and so I've looked a lot at, uh, in the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus talks a lot about um, children and the importance of children, and he lived in a culture when children were not considered very important at all, and so I've talked a lot about why is it that he says children are so important, and what is it that children have to teach us, and again, going back to that idea that children can teach us that we're human beings, that we are limited that we are fallible, that we screw up, but also that we are deeply, deeply loved. And I think that's something that we as adults need to be reminded of, that we are beloved human beings um, and that that is the core of our identity, Um, not our performance or achievement or our mistakes, um, but actually our belovedness is the core of who we are. Yep, I agree. Well, good. I agree. We're not all perfect humans here and... Amy can probably see that my walk is in back bound, but um, my little side, my little side show is in background. My little side show of snow, you guys, it's also in background. Snow in the middle of 
November. Ay, 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 that's not good. But um, what is your favorite thing about being a writer? Being um, not the speaking capabilities, but is it sharing your journey or is it um, just sharing your experiences or what? I think, yeah, whenever you, as a writer and a nonfiction writer, are feeling like when my experiences actually can connect with someone else um, and bring them to a place of deeper understanding, a place of um, more positive acceptance of their own life or their own self or their own child, you know, that is really a blessing for sure. Um, and I also just, I, I love language. I love writing. I love the act of crafting sentences and thinking about big ideas. So that's a, that's a really a joy to me to be able to work with words like that. And have you ever thought about writing a children's, a official children's book? I have thought about it. Um, I've thought about it both in terms of like a picture books as well as like more young adult, you know, kind of upper elementary or middle school aged books. Um, I've thought about using my own childhood as a, you know, guide for a, a novel. I haven't tried to do it. Um, and, but I think, I don't know, I think I might, I'd like to try. Well, that would be an interesting process. I mean, I am almost to the end of writing a children's book. It's going to be out in January. Thank oh, you congratulations. Much. And thank you. And writing a children's book as compared to a memoir is a totally different kettle of fish. Yeah. <laughs> totally different kettle of fish. And I think I'm going to do two children's books, but then that's it. I'll oh, good for you. YA and I'll stick young adult and I'll stick with middle school and I'll stick with um, adults. But other than that, no more children's books for right. me anyway because that's a totally different kind of fish. But we've managed to pull, almost pull one off and we've um, managed to now um now I'm in the process of thinking about doing another one, but we'll see. We will see. And that one is about a disabled butterfly. It's hmm. called Marigold Learns Fly because I don't know about in Penny's school now, but when I went to school, there was no such thing about kids with disabilities in children's books. Right. And so I don't know about Penny's school, but uh, there's not so much about kids with disabilities in children's books. Kids with disabilities in any book, right? Like, frankly, I mean, that's um, that's a niche in itself, and that's a whole another subject. So, who is your publisher? Uh, for A Good and Perfect Gift, I had a publisher out of Minneapolis called Bethany Books. It's owned by Baker. 
uh, publishing house, which is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then my second publisher was Zondervan, which is owned by HarperCollins um, and also is out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So, yeah, all over the place. So, two separate publishers. Well, we want to slow a show note to those guys. And when you went to your first writing conference, did you think, oh, I'm going to come home with a traditional publishing deal or no? No. I, when I first went, I just wanted to meet some people and learn a little bit more. I had I'd done a lot on the writing side, but not much on the business side of writing. I didn't know very much about that. So I just wanted to learn some more. Um, and so the fact that I came home with an agent was actually more than I would have even hoped for. Uh, and then it took another year to actually get a publisher. Um, so it was not an easy or quick process, but, um, you know, my agent has been great and we're still working together and, um, I'm grateful for the editors I've worked with and the publishers. They've been, they've been wonderful. Well, I always want to say that I'm self-published, but eventually I'm working on getting a traditional publishing deal because well, good for you. Of, um, I'm sick of being in the Amazon realm, although Amazon is pretty amazing what they can do now. Absolutely, yeah. But where can the people find your books? Well, they can go to Amazon um, and type in Amy Julia Becker. But I also have a website, amyjuliabecker.com. Um, and that provides links to, you know, Barnes and Noble, to a local bookstore here where I live, where they sell the books, um, as well as to Amazon or to the publishers themselves. But, um, you know, as with most things, Amazon is an easy way to get Amazon. The, the hard copies or the ebooks. The hard copies or ebooks. Amazon. Amazon Kindle and Google and Amazon Prime will be your best friends, people, and I'm not kidding when I say that, because um, now every single Tom, Dick, and Harry has a Kindle app on Kindle, and they have um, also access to iBooks, which is Apple, and then Nook, which I'm presuming that all your books are They are formats. all available, and A Good and Perfect Gift is also available on through Audible. So you can get it on, um, you know, a read-aloud Audio. version. Audio book, exactly. Audio book, which is also good. Also, my books are scattered all over Amazon. All my books are actually in audio format. So you can find those also on Audible, also on iTunes. And all my books, considering they're self-published, they can... Um, be found on Apple, Nook, Kobo, you name it. I'm pretty much on there. So Good if you. you guys want to Google my name or Google Amy's name, just Google away and then you'll find all of us. Anyway, I appreciate Amy's time. I know she's very busy chasing kids, but I definitely appreciate Amy's time. And I definitely appreciate all the support and love for Winds and Women of Wisdom. 
Thanks for having me. I hope you have a great afternoon Thank in the you. snow.